prayer and fasting in faith. We will be looking at a scripture in the Old Testament from Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. If you do not have a Bible with you, uh, there is one available in the, uh, under the seats in front of you. And in that Bible, you would find our scripture on page 395. Before I get to the point of reading that scripture, which is in chapter 8, I have to briefly go over uh, the other chapters of Ezra to let us understand exactly what is going on before we get to the point of today's scripture. And briefly, what I would like to tell you about this is in the book of Ezra, Israel has been in exile, and it has been in exile for some time, decades which means that God had removed them from where they lived and they were taken over and they were nothing more than a small ethnical minority under the massive Persian Empire being ruled by their rulers. God chose to then move in the hearts of those rulers that were in control over Israel. And as we're looking through that in the first chapter in verse 1, In the beginning, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of the kingdom and also put into writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Ultimately, from that, over 42,000 exiles returned to Jerusalem and started rebuilding the temple. And then, as things would happen, the enemies of Israel wrote letters to the ruler and said, Why are you allowing this to happen? Don't you remember how rebellious these people are, how much trouble came out of the city of Jerusalem, you better stop them. And it did stop. But God chose for that not to continue that way. Because we see that even in opposition, we understand that God was still in control. And as we see in chapter 5, God sent two prophets. Haggai and Zechariah, sons of Idu. And they prophesied to the Jews who were in Jerusalem and in Judea, Judea and in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zebulun, the son of Shelon, and, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and supporting them. The work continued. But then again, the same tactic happened. People wrote to the emperor and said, you better stop these people. And it did stop. But we see that still the hand of God was upon them and the ruler at that time was Darius, a new emperor. He did tell them to stop building. But he also gave a decree and said, I want you to... to search the archives and find out what was originally said about this. And they did. And he writes back in, verse, in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, 
Let the work on this house of God, uh, of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on this site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of the house of God. The cost is to be paid by these men in full without any delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the providence from beyond the river. Not only did he allow them to continue their work, but he said, we're going to pay for it. So the money was there. So God ruled over the hearts and prevailed over so many of the rulers, and God's will was done to the point where in verse 22 of the same chapter we see, For the Lord had made them joyful and returned the hearts of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God and the God of Israel. So now what about this man Ezra? Who is he? Chapter 7, verses 6 and 7 says... He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, the, the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the land of the Lord, his God, was on him. Verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to re- teach the statutes and the rules of Israel. Ezra knew the law of Moses. He had studied it. He believed it. And he was willing now to lead his people back to Jerusalem and to teach them exactly the ways of the God that they had for so long been away from. So the ruler, Artaxerxes, and I said that wrong, sent him and those who wanted to go back to Jerusalem. And why was the king allowing this to happen? Well, if you read in verses seven, uh, chapter 7, verses 25 and 26, what he was going to get out of it was a ruler there, somebody to watch over the people, to maintain law. But, Isaiah, but Ezra didn't say that that was really what was going to happen. His answer was truly in the next verse where it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So people were going back. Ezra was to lead them, to equip them once they got there, and he was going to undertake that task. Now we get to the scripture and uh, the subject of our text today. Chapter 8, verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek for him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way since we had told the king the hand of God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we asked and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty.
The first thing that we want to see from what Ezra was doing in his fast is faith motivated, faith motivated fasting and prayer are need driven. Verse 21. Ezra had humbled his heart before God and knew that in this situation, what he was going to undertake was something that he could not do in his own strength. And what was that? They were going on a road trip. They were going to journey back to Jerusalem. And it wasn't just something that would take a few days. This was eight, excuse me, 900 to 1,000 miles, and about 5,000 people were going to make this journey. So in the logistics alone of moving that many people, Ezra knew that he had to seek the help of the Lord. Now, I, I realize that in today's times, if you were going to move 5,000 people, let's say you wanted to have 5,000 people show up at uh, uh, Dow Diamond probably holds that many people. 5,000 people are coming from different directions. No problem. But he has to move them together. At a time in the year 450 B.C., how do you do that? I have no idea. I don't know what it would take to actually do that. They're going to be walking. They're going to be out in, in open spaces. But he knows that he has to count on God for the help to do that. But also to go along with that, he said, I want safe travel, Lord, for the possessions that we're going to take. Sure, they're going to be taking things along the way that they need. Uh, Ezra knew probably from studying the Old Testament that when the Israelites left Egypt, they took with them and were, were in travel for 40 years. They took, possession, uh, put, took along what they needed, but they couldn't sustain themselves for 40 years. God had to be faithful and watch over them. He would have known that. But these possessions that they were going to take also were something that was a great concern to Ezra. And what were they? Well, what it says is there was 24 tons of silver. There was 7,500 pounds of silver objects. There was 7,500 pounds of gold. Putting that together, I come up with a minimum of 63,000 pounds of precious metal that they were going to be moving in this caravan of 5,000 people. I thought about physical strength. How do you do that? Well, I thought about when I was a young man 13, 14 years old, and I worked at a bowling alley setting pins. Condense it down. What happened in that one-night shift while you were setting pins for about 10 guys bowling on, on two teams in a league, I probably lifted about 3,000 pins, set them in a rack, pulled the lever, they came down, they went on to bowl. At three pounds, six ounces per pin, conservatively, I figure that I lifted 10,000 pounds 
in three hours. And I, but I got paid well. I got $3 for that three hours. When I got home that night, Mother didn't have to make hot milk and cookies for me to fall asleep. I was able to physically do that work, but it was a challenge. This would have been a challenge, but you know what the difference is here, folks? Is nobody, when I was ever setting those pins, ever came down to try and steal any of them. They're moving this much present, uh, precious materials, and the worst thing that they have to worry about, and Ezra knows this, is you are most vulnerable out in the open at that time from robbers coming in and stealing, and maybe even among themselves for those that would want to take that gold or silver and precious things and keep it for themselves. So that was what he had to face. He was worried about the possessions that were there and how that was going to come about. We're talking about faith. We're talking about going before the Lord and fasting. Ezra knew that he had to turn his face to the Lord. That was his specific request from God was the ability for this to happen, for them to arrive safely. I don't know if uh, any of you uh, are familiar with the names Anne and Annie and Steve Chapman. They're Christian entertainers a husband and wife that sing songs, write songs, talk about marriage, always with the Christian perspective in all that they do. And I remember my wife and I seeing them a number of years ago. And they mentioned that on Wednesdays, it was their day for fasting for their children. So with the help of my wife, um, we looked that up. I wanted to see if there was any more information about that. And it came up that he had written a book. And actually, the title of the book was Wednesday's Prayer, A Father's Guide to Praying and Fasting for Children. So we tried to find that book, and it wasn't available anymore. Evidently, that's what I found out because there was never a reference. There were many books that he had written, but that one wasn't available. So I actually contacted him by email. Through emails, he wrote me back and said, no, that's not in print anymore. It's not available. I, I want to do a new book maybe next year on the same subject. He said, will some of this information help you and what you're talking about in, in, uh, for your message? My focus was we're talking about fasting and praying in faith for a specific reason. His specific reason, their specific reason, was their children. He sent me back an email with the following information. This is an excerpt that he had in another book called, if I have it right, The View of Life from the Deer Blind, or the Deer Stand, something to that effect. But this is what he sent me. Like all children... Mine were not exempt from displaying the reality found in Romans 8 that says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us boast of perfectly straight arrows in our quiver, nor can our parents for that matter. That admitted, I must report that one other tool 
that was helpful in making my two arrows as straight and as useful as possible was prayer. But let me quickly add, when I suggest prayer, I'm not referring to occasional or obligatory, bless my kids, Lord, kind of offering. From my experience, what I suggested is a serious regimen of concentrated praying for children that will require some sacrifice beyond a few seconds of our time, a little bit of breath, and a few words. When our children were very young, around eight and five, Annie and I decided to use Wednesday as our chosen day to focus our prayer, praying on our children. We also added something to the, to effect, to the effort that is, candidly speaking, not one of my favorite things to do. This is, we added fasting to the day. For a guy whose favorite songs include, When the Rolls Are Served Up Yonder, I'll Be There, and In the Sweet Pie and Pie, lasting once a week was not, fasting once a week was not something I relished, yet doing it had sweet re results. And to add a disclaimer, Matthew 6 states that when a fast is done correctly, no one knows about it. Yet I'm saying openly that I fasted. But because I'm well beyond the child-rearing years and because I personally saw the positive yield in my children's lives from adding fasting to my prayers for them, I su uh, assume a release to encourage you to add this dynamic to your praying if you haven't already. Why does fasting seem to be effective? Simply, it lets God know you're very serious about being heard. Sacrificing substance or any other pleasure or luxury if you are medically unable to fast meals tells him you are fully engaged in the battle for your children's spiritual, emotional, and physical welfare. And there was more. But I just read the important part that, that struck me because he said, it lets God know you're very serious about being heard. This doesn't mean that we're like a clanging gong, that the louder we're doing it, the more that God is going to notice it. It means that we are doing something, coming before God, and asking him to do exactly what his promises have said over and over again, that when we seek him, he will be found and he will give, give us the desires of our heart. It also said that in being fully engaged in the battle for his children, he was proclaiming to God, that, Lord, I love these, these children. I am raising them out of obedience to you. I am being faithful for, to your calling, which says to bring them up in the nurture and love of you, the Lord, their God. And, Lord, I know that even as much as I love them, you love them more, and I want the richest blessings for them. We seek God in faith to intervene in the specific situations because he is a faithful God. We also must see God's faithful 
Remember the character of a faithful God. We are God's faithful. Those that have come to know him as Lord and Savior. Those that seek after him. Ezra was one of those people. In verse 22 we read, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. I believe that there was an escort there that could be had by the king. It doesn't say specifically about that. But Ezra in the situation probably would have had that available. And may I encourage you to read this book when you get a chance because it works so well with our study for a small group in Nehemiah. In fact, Bible scholars tell us at one time they probably were combined as one book and then were separated out probably about the second century. And as a side note, when you get to chapter 2 in Nehemiah, look how his journey was handled by the king. And maybe we can talk about the differences between that and what we see here. But can you imagine Ezra was probably talking to the king at one point and said to him, before he even realized that maybe the words were coming out of his mouth, he said, the hand of God is, uh, is for the good and all that seek him. But those that are against him, the hand of wrath will be on. That, that's the God that I serve. That might have been one of his favorite type of sayings. It isn't a direct quote from the Bible. Very close is said in Deuteronomy and other places. But it might have been something that just came out. But it was what he believed in his heart. And the reason for that is Ezra, as a man of God, as a man of faith, knew exactly the character of the God that he was talking about to the king. He knew that God had been faithful. He knew that God had changed the hearts of different rulers and allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. He knew that those that seek him would see his blessing. Those that opposed him would see his wrath. Perfect example that Ezra probably knew was when the Israelites left Egypt and they came to the Red Sea. God used that water to open up and for some to go to safety and to bring judgment on those that were against him. There's a story by H.L. Ellison. He talks about a woman who is on a ship, not her favorite place to be. And as it would happen, the ship was in a very bad storm. And they were in a bad place. And she was terrified. So she went to the captain and she said to the captain, Is there any hope? The captain answered her, The only hope we have is in God. The lady's answer was, Is it really that bad? 
the captain had answered her and said, thinking through it, I know my capabilities. I know this ship. I know the sea. I know this storm. But all of that are variables. The one place that we know that we should put our faith and hope is in God because that is the only way that we'll get through it. What the woman heard was she had gone to the best source of information, the most knowledgeable that she knew, and that was the captain. And she did not get the answer that she wanted. He was relying on something past where her faith level was. In faith, we focus on our dependence on God in times of need and know the character of our merciful and just God. And also, we must see a faithful God deserves our gratitude and our thanksgiving. Verse 23. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. We have to understand that Ezra is writing this more as his memoirs. This has already happened. It isn't exactly written in chronological order. And so that when we see this, that he says he fasted, he went before God, it was answered, and it was favorable. That has all happened already. But what did they do after that? We have to read a little bit farther, and we have to go to almost the end of the chapter in verse 35. And it says, At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to God, the God of Israel. They had realized that God was the one that had got them to the point that they were. And they went back to what they had been instructed to do before, which is to praise him, to honor him with sacrifices, with worshiping and praising him. It doesn't say anything here that they had a party because they were glad that things had gone well. No, they knew that a faithful God had delivered them through a situation that they knew that they could not do on their own. Do we understand that we as individuals, we see those victories in our lives and we turn to praise and glorify God for those, that that should build up our strength. That should encourage us because over and over again, he has been willing to be merciful to us and to get us through situations. And we praise him for it, lifting his name up. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I know and I realize that when we as individuals and myself included are asked to prepare a message, we're asked to lead a Sunday school group or a small group. Those of us that take the time and look at God's word to try and understand it, to explain it to others, are the ones that get the blessing first. God is speaking to us. God spoke first to me about this that I want to share with you. And I want to tell you about the burden of my heart as I look at this scripture and I understand 
how it would look and pertain to Crossway Christian Church. Ezra, Ezra was one of God's faithful. I believe that we are one of God's faithful. He took on a task through faith that was above his skill level. But he was willing to call on a God that he knew was all-powerful and could do anything. Folks, that's the same God that we serve today, this faithful God. But God has revealed himself even past where Ezra saw him to us today because we have seen the great gift of his son, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of his complete faithfulness to his children. Christ came into this world to lead a perfect life, never to sin, to die a death that he did not deserve for righteousness that was given to us. As we did in Rock the Block when we were talking about and singing the songs with motions, we put on his coat of righteousness. But what does that mean for us? How does that look to us? We have a Saturday morning time of prayer. Folks, I think it could be much more. It has the potential to be much more than it is. God has used it, but I think that he's waiting for us to truly to seek after him. What if we took... And there were those among us that were willing to fast. And say during that time of fasting, Lord, you know, I'm not one of them that usually prays when we get together and pray. I'm not one that says yes to being willing to take on the responsibility to lead a group and, and speak your word. But I want that faith. I want to be able to do that. Would you work in my heart to do that? Or those that might say, Lord, we've seen two baptisms this year in our congregation. I'm thankful for that. But Lord, I, I, I want you to give me the burden of my heart that I can go to that relative of mine, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, my next door neighbor, whoever that is, that does not know you yet and be willing to say, would you come to church with me? Would you be willing to read the Bible with me one-to-one? Lord, would you give me that boldness to be able to do that? Or maybe in a time of, of fasting and prayer that you would be one of them that would say, Lord, we've been talking about building a new building. Where is that with you? We're, we're saving money. Would you speak to us? Would you allow us to come before you with this specific prayer request to know that your hand is upon it? Lead us, not for our glory, but to better further the kingdom of God. I believe that that can happen. I believe that Ezra was faithful. I believe that as it was said by Steve Chapman, that every time that he had those hunger pains, it reminded him 
that it was time to pray again that day for his children. I would pray that that physical hunger would lead us to a spiritual hunger to come before a faithful God and ask him for the blessings that he is willing to give us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you speak to us through your word. That in faith, you have allowed us to come before you this morning to humble our hearts, to ask for you to strengthen us, to draw us closer to you, to give you honor and praise. We pray, Lord, that as we understand and are asked that we are drawn closer to the nature of who you are, Lord, that we would ask that for ourselves, that we be more Christ-like, that we are truly willing to serve you in whatever way that you would have us to be, Lord. We ask that we are truly men and women of faith, that you give us the opportunity to serve you, that you would lead us, that you would refine us. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings of your word and for this day. And we pray again that we give you honor and praise in all that we do, never seeking after our own gain, but out of love for you, committing each and everything that we have to you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Would you please rise again and sing by faith.